The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. This is the 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. And coming up to 3.39 on this the Thursday edition, Thursday already of the 6.30 Ched uh, Afternoon News, also the birthday edition. Um, it's Andrew's birthday today. And he's yeah. going to be like, stop saying that. Just oh, whatever. Whatever. I know I'm having probably uh, barbecued steak and uh, and uh, pie, t- not pie, uh, cake, cake tonight. So my life is good. White white cake or vanilla cake? It has to be like white, white cake, cake with, with chocolate, chocolate icing, icing yeah. on it. You just can't buy them in a supermarket. I don't know why. If you buy chocolate ice, it's a chocolate cake. Yeah, usually. I don't like that. And new vans? Anything two, else? Two pairs of new vans. Oh, no, the kids. I was on the phone to Ashley this morning when Maddie left. So she had something for me, but she couldn't wait, so she left. So I'll see that tonight. Hunter was still asleep, and David phoned me. But he would just phone me to wish me happy birthday, mm-hmm. and I just wasn't able mm-hmm. to take the call. I was talking to his sister. Can we... I, I know we want to move on, but I, we were talking off air a little bit, and... I'm, I'm, I want to put something out there. It's easy for me to sit here and criticize the city. Sure it is. You know, really easy. I have an opinion. It's a strong one. Um, That's our job. That is our job. And no one's criticizing us for that. But I I do know that, and I've said this many times, that people go into politics, typically I've found 99.9% of the time because they want to make things better, and then they find they're, not, they're unable to make those changes. Sometimes we as electorate elect individuals who are not qualified to hold offices. We So we are also to blame for that. But I will say this, that the political system is slanted against guys like me, for example. I, I would never compare creating and running a festival to running a city. They're obviously different much things. different. But I can tell you that our festival makes money, runs efficiently, and has been recognized as one of the best-run festivals in the country. I believe that if I were put in a position to hold a portfolio or if I was a counselor, that I would do as I've done here. I would do my research and I would find out how you do this job called radio and I would get better at it instantly. It would be a steep learning curve. But I can assure you I will never get elected because at the end of the day, it's still an old boys type club. You've got to know the movers and shakers in the city who are prepared to put money up and back you as a candidate. You have to have some connection to some of the existing political structure, whether they're already elected or simply the backroom guys who make those decisions. And the higher up you go from city to province to mm. federal, the the more difficult that becomes to break money, into that club, times, right? Yeah. I think there's lots of individuals out there that would do a great job on council who just simply don't run for those reasons. Because at the beginning of of it all. And you say, you know what, I'd like to run for council. I'd like to represent my area and I would get some things changed. And I think I would. Nobody's backing yeah. me financially. I don't know the people who could back me financially. I don't know. I know of current councillors and I know the mayor to say hello, but they're not jumping on my bandwagon. So it just, I mean, we do get good councillors. We do get good MLAs and good MPs, but we also get bad ones. And part of the reason is sometimes it's just their family name, their heritage, their... They've been there for that long. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I want to say this. This text came in. Ken says, what would you expect from a council led by Iveson? He was the vice president of the Students' Union. He knows nothing. Uh, And he goes on. I hope he moves on before he destroys the city. Here's the thing. Pretty much any politician started out as something else before they became a politician. You know, they were mm-hmm. 
the nurses, a doctor, an office manager, uh, media personality, whatever it is. So, you know, there are some career politicians who go in there and they stay there forever. But at, at yeah. the start, again, remember, Mayor Iveson was a councillor before he became mayor. Right. Um, and he's now a two-term mayor. Um, and resoundingly, let's not forget that, resoundingly uh, voted into uh, the mayor's the mayor's spot. But everyone going into that, for the most part, has got some expertise in their own little world, yeah. which they bring to council. But they have so much everything else, not there's there's not people who are just born that you take a, a poll. How, how do I become how do I become right. a city councilor in college? That's not how it and, happens. And let's folks. be honest: from the moment that the first politician appeared on television, your appearance, your demeanor, right. and your ability to speak and, publicly became more important and than your you, ability to do the job. And don't you want people from varying backgrounds? Of course, because of course. you guys all hate career politicians as well. Right. Let me tell you, I, I can tell you this as well. And we're all a product of our upbringing and experience, right? So I can tell you this. I, I've mentioned before my father. Father, you know, uh-huh. was in the army, but I'll tell you what his job was for the whole time I knew him. Because by the time I was born, of course, the Second World War was over. I'm not that old. He was a deputy minister, so he was a deputy minister in Manitoba, uh, deputy minister of industry, and federally he became a deputy minister of industry, trade, and commerce. And then in Prince Edward Island, he was again a deputy minister of industry. And it didn't matter who got elected. It didn't matter he what. Stayed. He stayed. They kept him, and he ran that department. Mm-hmm. And when a new minister would come in, my dad couldn't care less what stripe they were. NDP, liberal, yeah. conservative, didn't matter. That was the department yeah. he ran. And he would bring the minister up to speed, and he would tell the minister what the you know what the, the hierarchy of needs and uh, were. And he would be the one who would go to the meetings. When you see these meetings, first minister's meetings and, and these kind of things, those individuals that you see sitting around the outside, they're the guys who do the work. They're the ones who actually run the departments, execute the policy and plans, um, follow up, and, and, and they're the ones. And then they advise the minister what's happening. And they often re- write the speeches mm-hmm. for them and, and, and all of that stuff. So the key is, like my dad always said to me, when I first got into management, he said to me, there's a propensity among politicians, this is what he told me, to surround themselves in people that they are smarter than because it makes them feel smarter. And he said, the key is, surround yourself in people who make you feel dumb because your staff is the most important tool you have. And I feel, frankly, with this city, that we have not everyone, but I feel that there's no other conclusion that you could possibly draw than the fact that there are some people in positions that shouldn't be in their positions. Because if it was one thing, if it was the 30 million that was missing and that was it, if it was the LRT whose signaling system doesn't work and that was it, if it was the bus depot whose floor does not accommodate the buses we ordered, if it was just that one thing, if it was the bike lanes that we put down and then took yep. back up again, if it was any one of those things, you'd say that was a mistake and we all make mistakes. But when it's every one of those things... It's cumulative, yeah. It's cumulative and it shows a body of work that's unacceptable. And, and I don't care... If the city manager, I'm sorry, if the city manager is in charge of the city and he's not able to surround himself with good staff, get a city manager who will. She. If it's the staff that supports the city manager that's unable to get good staff under them, then get rid of those well, we've people. We've gone through city managers in the yep. past few years, haven't yep. we? I, I've, I honestly feel like... Was gone, Fairbrother was gone. And- yep. I, I feel like we're at the point now <sighs> where there needs to be some serious changes made in staffing because I don't think we're getting the job done, frankly. And like I say, I understand this as well, that you get elected to council. We'll leave it at council. You get elected to council with the ambition to change things. 
And then you realize there's this bureaucratic monster that can't be changed. Well, it's a slow wall of mud that inches. Exactly. And, and it moves so slowly and it's, it, you know, my I don't want to bring my tree up again. But, you but know, the tree, But yes. the tree is a great example of 15 crews to plant a tree. And you go, well, you know, there's nothing we can do about that because there's all these regulations. We need to chip away at that yeah. because, frankly... There are people who get stuff done, and there's people who talk about getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. I, I, sorry, there's people who talk about getting stuff done, and there's people who actually get stuff done. Hire the people who get stuff done. Yeah. And, and fix some communication. Mm-hmm. The communication. Yeah. How is it that a $2 million road out to my place gets torn up one year after it gets put right. down by right. developers? Because mm-hmm. the developer wanted to move sooner than... Than yep. the city was told. Yeah, it's it's one thing after another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're right. You know, the deputy ministers. You can talk about that. You know what your dad did. You you look at the folks who are in place right now, in the deputy minister position. A lot of the military, high ranking military right. people. A lot high ranking uh, former police officers. Yes. that sort of thing. And those people, they yes, Andrew said they they tend to stay. They're the ones yep. who because you need to have someone in there. Right. Because as as the government's changes, whatever, you need to have somebody in there who knows what the hell's going on. And, and they need to be as accountable and honest as we yeah. want our politicians to be mm-hmm. as well. It's well known in all government departments that when they do their budgeting, I shouldn't say just government departments, it's well known, honestly, in any department, private or otherwise, uh, or public, that when you go to do your budgets every year, for example, you sort of pad it a little bit um, because you don't know what's going to happen next year. So you look and you say, well, I've got 20 employees, but really I could have gotten by with 15, but maybe it's going to be busier next year. So I'm going to keep those five and we'll just budget this and that and the revenue will be this and our expenses will be that. We have to stop doing that as well. We we have to start saying, what are the actual essential personnel within each department? Where is the waste? And, and again, I go to the fact that we threw out a conservative government provincially because they wasted money. And I'm still waiting now, years later, for the NDP to point to where the waste was. Where have you saved the money? You came in, you said that's what you were going to do. And I'm sorry to turn this into provincial politics, but it's any level of politics. Every politician promises us. Ford's doing it in Toronto right now. Every politician oh, everyone promises. everyone is, is, is yeah. yeah. It's unreal what's being promised I want to meet election. the man or woman who actually will take office and, and find do it. the money. Save me my... Tell me my taxes are yeah. going down next year. Oh my gosh, remember? Oh, do you remember those days? Do mm. you remember the... Oh. Yeah. The, 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 the Klein into the Redford, into the... Oh. I almost feel like we should put politicians on commission. Yeah. What have you succeeded at? How many hours did you put in? What did you save us? Well, they right? do tend to put in a lot of hours. That's true. There is. It's a there's thankless a job. Of, there's a lot, a lot of handshaking and kissing babies. It, it's funny, though, how, you know, oftentimes people say, well, if it was a company, it would go bankrupt. And I always say, but it's not a company. It's a government. It's bureaucracy, right? But there are flexibilities that private companies have that government don't have. But I wish there was a way to put it into government. And the best example is your old friends at Algoma Steel in Sault Ste. Marie, mm. Ontario, where they were facing a very hostile international steel market and they wanted to save money. And if they didn't save money, people were going to lose their jobs, yeah. right? Mills were going to close. And, and eventually... You're going to shut down a city, man. Yeah, you're going to shut down an entire city. Um, so what they did was they put it out to their employees, every single employee, whether you're a salesman, a janitor, you work in the mill, it doesn't matter. You find us a way to save money and we'll split it with you. You find a way that you can document how much you saved the company 
and we'll split it with you. Guys were finding ways to save hundreds of thousands of dollars and getting checks for fifty or sixty thousand for coming up with the idea. But everybody wins. The mill saves sixty. The guy got sixty. And moving forward, the mill now saves hundreds of thousands because they don't pay the guy every year. We've been talking about living in a big, big city, and uh, are you happy there or not? By the sounds of it, this afternoon we're not very <laughs> happy with with some aspects mm-hmm. of it. That's for sure. At three fifty, we're going to take a break. When we come back. A survey that was done on on you, on Canadians, whether you're happier in small towns or big cities. What do you think right after this? Okay, do you love living in a city? Do you love living in a small town? Who's happier? Well, a new study um, suggests uh, that, you know, getting a well-paying job in a big city, moving there and dealing with high living costs and stressful commutes, maybe is not the way to go. Hmm. Researchers at McGill University in the uh, UBC, uh, actually, yeah, UBC's, uh, no, uh, University of British Columbia's, yeah, Vancouver School of Economics carried out a detailed analysis on happiness across Canada. Uh, and they say, you know what, people in rural areas are happier than urban dwellers. And here is why. They said, um, they found that the population density among the least happy fifth of communities was eight times higher than the density of... Okay, not that one. Here's the things that the happiest communities have in common. Shorter commute times, Mm. more affordable housing costs, Mm -hmm. a lower share of foreign-born population, Mm. and a... Yeah. And a larger share of population that identifies as religious. Hmm. And they say one of the things with uh, the religious side of it is they tend to be a fairly tight community, socialize-wise, that sort of thing. That's interesting. And they said what doesn't correlate with happiness, income levels, like what? Uh, the unemployment rate and education. They say they're about the same. Really? Interesting, because I'm actually a small-town boy. I grew up in Charlottetown, right, for the most part. Um, I find a city like Toronto far too big for my taste. I don't even like visiting it, mm-hmm. to be frank with you. I love everything that comes with a big city, the availability of... Um, retail and and night spots and entertainment. I love all of that stuff. Edmonton, to me, is the right size. I like it. But I entertain in these small towns all the time, and I I know exactly that. I would not disagree with anything on that And here's the thing, you know, I had some friends who lived out in Jasper, smaller community, um, busy community, but they said they hated living there because everybody knew your business. It's hard to break into a small town. Yeah, and and that was tough, and everyone was really nosy, and there was no privacy, and they hated that, and they couldn't wait to get out of that small community. You you know, I'm going to say this and maybe get in trouble. But you know me, always willing to take a chance. I have found, it's been my experience in living in Charlottetown, a small town. I think it's 20,000 people when I was there, maybe 25 tops. Um, Charlottetown proper, only Mm 16,000. I'm including the surrounding areas. If we would have somebody who was different than us move in, whether it be religiously different, different skin color, different orientation, whatever, um, they would be widely accepted as a unique individual. Like, we'd be like, oh, you know, the one Muslim guy, like that kind of thing, right? There is something to be said, though, for when you live in a big city and that unique individual is multiplied by hundreds uh-huh. or thousands, where it changes your perspective. And, and, and you're not, as for the, for that person as well, you're not alone. Right, you that's know? true. You're not alone. You, yeah. you can, uh, you have other folks you can relate to, the yeah. community, whatever it is. Clayton's on the phone. Hey, Clayton, you grew up in a small town? 
Yes, I did, and then I moved to the city, and then I'm actually raising my family back in my hometown now. So Okay, so where's the small town you grew up in? It's uh, Caroline, just south oh, yeah. of Rocky Mountain House there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you moved yeah. to Edmonton, to I'm, Calgary? No, I moved to Calgary to go to the university there. Yeah. And uh, I, I would say that, like, I really enjoyed moving back, uh, and but I feel like a large reason I've enjoyed that is because I grew up there. Moving to a really small town sometimes be difficult right um because like in a small urban center like you know you think about rocky mountain house or whatever it's easier to meet people you go to a really small town um you know one's even smaller than caroline like it can be really difficult to find a place to you know meet people right yeah um and you know you've like, not mentioned and the study's not mentioned but i'm sure you would agree with this i'll tell you what i loved about being in a small town if you wanted to be on the football team you're, You're on the football team, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, there, there wasn't the competition for all the different things. So, I mean, if, if whatever you wanted to do, or, or you know, you wanted a chess club, then organize a chess yeah. club, you know? Yeah. I just think that it can be, in my mind, I think, you know, moving back to Sault Ste. Marie or even Thunder Bay, I would be so bored, just so well, bored I find, because the... I find when I visit small towns, I'm like, ugh... How do you not have a twenty-four hour whatever, whatever. right? Pizza but, shop. I find that I find that you can get bored in a city, but you you're more you can distract yourself more, but you isolate yourself in that boredom, right? Yeah. Whereas, sure, like yeah. in a smaller in a smaller uh, village or whatever, right, you can get bored and. Usually you can go and find someone doing something somewhere. Yeah, that's right? true. Like maybe get in trouble. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Clayton and Caroline, yeah. thanks for the phone call. Yeah, no problem. Take it easy. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.